All right, let's jump into the message today. We're in a series entitled Storyteller, where we're looking at some parables that Jesus tells us so that we can learn eternal truths. And that's basically what a parable is. A parable is basically when Jesus was teaching, he used stories as a format in which he explained to us what's going on and how we can have a fuller understanding of who God is, who he was, and who we are, and how we need him in our lives. Now, today we are going to approach this message with reverence and seriousness because it's a very heavy message. It's a very heavy topic, and we're going to be looking at the parable of the unmerciful servant. And if you have your, if your Bible with you, if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter number 18, we're going to be looking at this parable together this morning. Matthew chapter number 18, and we're going to start in verse number 21. Here's what the scripture says. Then Peter came up and said to him, he's talking to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When they began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell to his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in jail until he should pay his debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And when then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And so my heavenly father will do every to to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, we call this parable the parable of the unmerciful servant. This servant was not willing to show mercy to his fellow servant in the matter of this debt. And I think it begs a question, what are you not willing to show mercy for? There's one thing that I will not show mercy for, and that's putting mayonnaise on a hamburger. How many people like mayonnaise on a hamburger? What's wrong with you people? (laughs) Am I the only person who doesn't like mayonnaise on a hamburger? I Listen, if I go to a restaurant and I order a, a, a meal, no matter how that meal is, is, uh, comes to me, I will eat it. I will eat it. I ate breakfast with Jake a while back, and I ordered, I ordered scrambled eggs. They brought fried eggs, and he says, send that back. I said, no, I'm just going to eat it that way. He said, send it back. I said, no, I'm going to eat it that way. Why? Because I, don't wanna, I just want to eat it. I'm not that picky. No matter how you send it in, I'm going to eat it. But if there is mayonnaise on a hamburger, I refuse to eat that. I don't, know, I don't know who came up with that idea. Apparently, I'm in the minority because I don't like it. But that is one area that I will not have mercy. I will not eat a hamburger with mayonnaise on it. I will go hungry instead. 
Now, that's, that's just a little bit frivolous, right? I mean, mayonnaise on a hamburger, that's not really hurting anybody. And so that's something that I probably should get over. That's just being annoying and irritating. Don't be so picky in life. However, there are seasons and there are situations that we will encounter that is going to require us to show mercy towards someone else in our life. And in that moment, what a lot of us will struggle with is the ability to be merciful. Here's the big idea of this serious message today, is that mercy is a struggle. Now today, I need to warn you, this is going to be a heavy message because we're hitting home for something that probably every single one of us at different seasons in our life are going to struggle with, and that is having mercy. Now, the context of this parable is very important. Jesus has spent some time with his disciples prior to our passage, teaching them on how to handle conflict. He says that when your brother sins against you, that you are to go by yourself and try to work out that problem between the two of you. And if that doesn't work, then go get a mediator. If that doesn't work, then perhaps you go to the church. And here's what we need to understand is that Jesus has just laid out this this foundation and this groundwork that... It is vital for brothers and sisters in Christ to work out their differences with one another. There should not be conflict between us as brothers and sisters. Amen? There needs to be, there needs to be a brotherly love. There needs to be a kinship between us. And when we have problems with one another, we are called to work it out. Now, in response to this teaching, Peter then asked a very important question. How many times should I forgive someone? And Peter says, should I, should I forgive them seven times? That's pretty generous, isn't it? You can, you can relax a little bit this morning, my goodness. Pretty generous, isn't it? Seven times. I mean, let's be honest. Somebody calls us a bad word seven times. I mean, you forgive them seven times. That's pretty generous. In fact, scholars tell us during this period in Jewish history that the rabbis were teaching people that they should forgive three times. And then after that, no forgiveness should be offered. Three strikes and you're out. That's it. No more. So Peter's being very gracious. He sees the teaching of Jesus and he understands the seriousness of having resolving issues between him and another brother. And so Peter says, should I forgive him seven times? Is that that enough? Peter struggles with the same thing all of us struggle with. Is there a limit when I finally say enough's enough? If someone lies to me eight times, can I finally say enough? If someone steals from me eight times, can I finally say enough or do I have to forgive? Every single time. It's the point of forgiveness, or is there a place where we execute punishment? I mean, what, what, what's the balance here? And so Jesus' response is staggering. Not seven times, 77 times. Jesus is saying there is no limit to the amount of times that we are called to forgive someone. If someone lies to you eight times or 800 times from the heart, we are to offer forgiveness. The forgiveness flowing from the heart of a believer is to be unlimited. It's to be limitless. It is to be the attitude of our life. Now, we need to pause real quick and we need to address something very serious here. Obviously, this message, we're talking about forgiveness, and this is going to be a very difficult message for many of us, either in this room or watching at home or listening back to this, because we have experienced just heinous things in our life that have deeply wounded us. 
abuse, both physical and mental and sexual or abandonment or slander or perhaps even someone taking the life of a loved one or adultery or theft or fraud or gossip. I mean, the things that humans can devise to do to one another is limitless and the pain that it can cause is also limitless. There's countless evils that we have all experienced. So is Jesus saying that we should forgive those sins? Does that mean that we should never seek justice? This is an important answer and we need to, an important question. We need to answer it before we dive into the message. We have to frame this parable again in the teaching of forgiveness in the previous, uh, previous teaching in Matthew 18, because he's teaching us about re- restoration of relationship. And I'm, I feel it's important to read to you because you cannot understand the unmerciful servant if you do not understand Jesus. Jesus is teaching on forgiveness. So let me read it to you. Matthew 18, starting in verse number 15. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you and you have gained a brother, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refused to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loosen on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on anything uh, about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So what Jesus is teaching us in this passage is the process of restoration. When someone sins against you, there is a process of restoring the relationship. If someone truly sins against you, truly wounds you, then there's a process Jesus lays out. Now, we're not talking about petty stuff. You know, I I talked to this person one time, and it was many, many years ago at a different church, and she stopped coming because the pastor didn't shake her hand one morning. He said she was going down the road, shaking hands, and then got, you know, about two people shy of me, and he stopped shaking hands, and he doesn't even like me. Well, I went and I asked the pastor, because I knew he was a very friendly person. I said, what? why didn't you shake so-and-so's hand? He said, because I had to run on stage. I was about to, uh, I had to start the service. It was something petty. So we're not talking about petty stuff. We're talking about true wounds, true fault, true sin. If someone truly sins against you, what are you to do? You're to re- try to restore the relationship if you can. You're to go to the person. You're to talk to them. If that doesn't work, you're to get a mediator. Now, why is this important? Because forgiving someone, it's important to understand this because forgiving someone does not always mean that the restoration of the relationship happens. A teenager has to learn how to forgive someone who has abused them, but they can never be back in relationship with some of those people. Sometimes the offense is so great and the danger to the child is so great that there can be forgiveness, but there is not restoration of relationship. A wife who has suffered under an adulterous husband who's physically, verbally abusive to her needs to learn how to forgive her husband, but that doesn't mean that the marriage can be restored. It might be unsafe. That he might be unrepentant of his adulterous lifestyle. Someone took the, the life of a loved one. You have to learn to forgive from the heart, but that doesn't mean that you form a relationship with that person. The key to understanding the unmerciful servant is to understand that Jesus is speaking about forgiveness from the heart. 
He's not talking about restoration of relationship. He's talking about what's happening inside of you and inside of me. He's speaking to the condition of our heart. He's not speaking about criminal justice, nor, as I said, is he speaking about restoration of relationships. God's word deals with both of those. God's word talks about executing justice in a criminal justice system. He talks about parameters of restoring relationship. But both of those are conditional on particular situations. They're not conditional on the heart of a believer. A believer is called to forgive from the heart in every single situation. So with that understanding, let's go back to Matthew number 19, the unmerciful servant. The point of this parable is that the unmerciful servant is this, is that when it comes to forgiveness, we have to understand the price paid for our forgiveness is greater than the price paid that anybody owes us. The price that Jesus paid to forgive us is greater than any sin someone can commit against us. The price that Jesus paid for our forgiveness is greater than any price that we will pay to forgive someone else. Jesus starts out this parable by painting a picture of a king and a kingdom settling accounts with his servants. He says that a servant comes to him owing 10,000 talents of gold. Now, we don't know exactly how much money this is in modern money, but commentators point out that the amount of money isn't really the point. Jesus is trying to be hyperbolic. He's, uh, several of my commentaries say that Jesus is basically saying that this man owes this king a billion dollars. Jesus is trying to be a little bit ridiculous. This, this man's personal debt is like our national debt. There's no way it's ever going to get paid back. The servant owes the king too much, and there's no way that he has the ability to make this debt right. And the king says, look, you owe me some money. You're never going to be able to pay back just to try to have some justice in this situation. I'm going to sell you. I'm going to sell your entire family. I'm going to sell everything you have so I can try to redeem a little bit of this money. Now, it's important to see that being sold into slavery was not going to eliminate this man's debt. Selling him, selling his whole family into slavery wasn't going to be able to bring back the value of his debt. Commentators say that a highly valued slave in this day would, would be about a, a one talent, and this man owed 10,000 talents. This gentleman was in a desperate and an impossible situation, so he starts to beg the king. He says, king, be patient with me. I will pay you back. Now, that's just ridiculous because there was no way for him to work enough hours to be able to pay back a billion dollars. I did the math. If you're curious, let's pretend this servant can make $100 an hour in modern money. That's roughly $208,000 a year. That's, that's pretty good money. You know, I think I could live off of that. But if this servant worked for $100 an hour, 12 hours a day, 365 days a year, it would take him 2,283 years to pay his, his debt back. And that's not counting interest. The servant was an impossible situation. He cannot pay back his debt. He cannot sell himself into slavery to settle his debt. He, 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 there's nothing he can do. Now, verse 27 is unbelievable. Jesus says, out of pity, the king forgives the debt of the servant, just wipes away a billion dollars worth of debt and sets him free. There's nothing the servant had to do. He didn't have to pay back even a portion of the debt. It wasn't a reduced debt. It was total debt forgiveness. What kind of deal is that? I mean, there was no baby steps. There was no debt-free scream. There was nothing. 
Did anybody get the Dave Ramsey reference right there? Okay, we can be friends if you did. I mean, imagine that your creditor calls you up one day and says, you know your mortgage? Psh, that's gone. Car, psh, that's yours. Credit card debt, psh, that's all gone. The government calls and says, no more taxes. Psh. I mean, we're having a good day, right? This man had that and then more. Furthermore, we have to be aware that the king forgave this debt at great cost to himself. This man was owed a billion dollars, which means when he gave this servant a billion dollars at some point, at some point, this king gave this man all this money with the intentions of receiving it back. So when the king forgave this debt, there, on his balance sheet, there was a net negative of $1 billion. The forgiveness wasn't just a nice gesture. It had a price tag associated to it for the king. And here's what Jesus is teaching us about the kingdom of heaven. Because remember, he says the kingdom of heaven is like. This isn't just teaching about forgiveness. This is a parable about the economy of heaven. And the pattern of heaven and the pattern of the kingdom of God is forgiveness. Every time. Grace, mercy, pity, compassion, and forgiveness are part of the currency of the kingdom of heaven. It's part of the requirement if you want to be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. You cannot be part of the kingdom unless you forgive and you are forgiven. Notice what Jesus is teaching us. We are the indebted servants. The Bible makes it clear that all of us were born into this slavery to sin and this debt is hanging over. So we've all sinned. We've all received a warrant, a penalty, a debt of death that we owe because of our sin. Just as a servant owed a billion dollars worth of money, we owe a billion dollars worth of a spiritual debt of death. Spiritually, we are in the hole for billions and billions of dollars. And some of us might be tempted to say, but we're not that bad. I'm not that bad. You're not that bad. It's worse than we think, though. We look at some of those sins and we try to compare our situation to other people's situations. But the fact is this, is that we're all terrible because all sin is treason to the holiness of God. The prophet Isaiah said that our righteousness is like filthy rags to the holy God. Moreover, we can't pay this back. Death is coming for all of us, and not just an earthly death, but also a spiritual death in hell. And there's no way to avoid this. We have to pay this debt. It's coming for us. We cannot do enough righteous things to overcome sin. We're going to die, and without a Savior, we're going to hell. But God is the merciful King, and He saw us in our desperate, hopeless situation. Jesus Christ, as God, comes as the Son of God, walking on earth. He left heaven, came, died for our debt. And when Jesus died on the cross, there was a spiritual exchange, a spiritual transaction happened. Our billion-dollar debt came at a great cost to Jesus because He forgave our debt. So when we turn to God in repentance and faith, the Bible says that we inherit what a free gift of salvation. We're no longer slaves to our sins, and we go from being spiritually indebted to spiritual billionaires. The king has forgiven more than you and I will ever have sinned against him. The king has forgiven more than sins against us, and he did it at great cost to himself. The king absorbed the cost of that debt in order to forgive us. Now, we need to understand the weight of all this. 
We all had billions and billions of dollars of spiritual debt forgiven. But Jesus continues in the parable. See, the servant who just had all these great things happen to him, his billions of dollars replaced, he runs into a fellow servant that owes him about 100 denarii, and it's 100 days wages. In today's money, there'd be roughly $20,000 according to the average household income today. Now, $20,000 is a pretty good chunk of money. Somebody steals $20,000 from me or owes me $20,000, I'm going to want that back. I'm going to be interested in figuring out what's happening. But for a man who just had a billion dollars forgiven, you think that he could show some grace. One billion is 50,000 times 20,000. And so Jesus tells that this unmerciful servant starts to choke his fellow servant and throws him into slavery to pay back this debt. Now, what's worse is that scholars say that during this day, it was illegal to sell a person into slavery for more money than they owed. And the minimum was 500 days wages. So the servant who had personally experienced unspeakable grace chokes and illegally sells another man into slavery for a comparatively small debt. Jesus said the other servants witnessed this. And they go and they tell this righteous king, and notice what 30, uh, verse 32 says, that the king calls this servant wicked. The king says, I showed you mercy because you pleaded with me, and you couldn't show mercy to your fellow servant. The king then turned him over to the jailers, and in some translations it says to be tortured. Unforgiveness is always torture in our life. Unforgiveness is always torture. See, verse 35, Jesus unapologetically and unquantifiably says this, unless you forgive others, the same thing is going to happen to you. Jesus is just drawing a line in the sand. It's unquantifiable. He says, it doesn't matter what happened to you. When forgiveness doesn't come from your heart, you are the wicked servant. Now, that sounds pretty harsh from Jesus, doesn't it? Because some of us have a rebuttal to that. But Jesus, you don't know what I went through. You know, I told you, and I've said many times, that this Bible will offend every single one of us. Why? Because it's, it's, it's out of culture. It's not a product of culture. No human being wrote this. The Holy Spirit moved upon hearts of people, but the words are God-breathed. What that means is that somewhere is going to offend all of us, you and me. And this is a point where it probably offends a lot of us because Jesus unapologetically says, you are to forgive from your heart every single time. Unforgiveness is wickedness because it comes into conflict with the nature of God and the kingdom of God. See, this isn't about what we feel. This is about the nature of God and the kingdom of God. And when we withhold forgiveness from our heart, We're coming into direct conflict with the character, the nature of God. Unforgiveness is wickedness. His unforgiving heart led him to a prison cell. And we as believers have to see that forgiveness of an immeasurable debt of our own sin and then withholding forgiveness towards someone else, we are facing a prison cell in our own life of bitterness. And we're also facing a prison cell of losing our salvation and finding ourselves in a place where we're going to be tortured. This is difficult for us to wrap our minds around, 
But Jesus doesn't see any congruity in this. He sees this situation and he says, this makes perfect sense to me. Because the righteous king has the ability to forgive debt, but the righteous king also has the ability to execute justice and punishment when he sees something that's wrong. And we shouldn't see any problem with this either. If we don't forgive, we are deemed incapable of receiving forgiveness. Now, the question is, is how do you forgive? Some people hold on to their hearts over petty stuff, as we said a moment ago. However, there's others that have had some serious sin committed against them, and they've been victims of true sin. Abuse, abandonment, slander, all the things we said a moment ago, perhaps even murder of a loved one, theft, adultery, gossip, all all these things can seriously wound a person's heart. The sin committed against you might have left some deep, dark wounds. The sin you encountered might have left some trauma and some distress in your life. Might have caused some anxiety to arise in your heart when you think back over those seasons. But just as real, hearing that you have to forgive the person who committed those atrocities to you also makes your heart rate raise. It also causes anxiety in your heart. You say, But Lord, how can I forgive these people? You mean I have to forgive the person who did that to me? And Jesus is simply and emphatically saying, yes. How do we forgive the people who have hurt us deeply? How does that even happen? Jesus gives us the key. It's verse 35. Forgiveness comes from the heart. Now, what's interesting is that the Bible tells us that we are to forgive. Is that ceiling fan about? (laughs) We need to shut that ceiling fan off. I said I'm going to be very serious in this message, but that thing is making a lot of noise. That's making me concerned. And I'd hate for that thing to it just hit Zach. I mean, it'd be blood would go everywhere. <laughs> okay, he's good. Okay, if somebody wants to flip that switch, I'd, I'd be much obliged. Forgiveness. Now we got to get serious again. What's interesting about the Bible is that it tells us to forgive, but the Bible never gives a play-by-play of how to forgive. You know, you see all these, all these sermons, all the, all the different books, the seven steps to forgiveness. And if you do A, B, and C, then you can forgive from the heart. But you know what? The Bible never gives us any steps. The Bible never gives us a mind exercise. It says to forgive, but it doesn't tell us how. Forgiving others is simple truth that's spoken over and over again in Scripture without a practical application. Let me read you some verses. Jesus taught us to pray. Matthew 6, 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. Jesus says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Luke 6, 37 says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Condemned and, and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Luke 17, verse 3, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times and say, I repent, you must forgive him. Ephesians 4, uh, 4 23, or excuse me, 32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now catch this, there's a bunch of verses about how we are to forgive. 
And in the New Testament, forgiveness is always associated with the forgiveness of the Father. Listen to me. Restoration is a process. It's a two-way street. But forgiveness always happens internally in your heart. And the Bible does not give us an easy pathway to forgiveness. Forgiveness is always difficult. There's no easy pathway. There's no seven steps to forgiveness. There's no do A, B, and C, and everything's going to be all right. If I'm going to be a person of forgiveness, that can only happen when I look at the cross. The gospel teaches me the amazing forgiveness and grace process. If you want to learn how to forgive someone, I can't tell you do A, B, and C. What I can tell you is to look at the cross. I can only forgive the person who molested me when I look at the cross. I can only forgive the person who slandered me when I look at the, at the gospel message. I can only forgive the person who took my life of my loved one when I look at the resurrection of Jesus. The parable of the servant is this, is that he experienced the gospel message. He had a debt that he could not pay. The king forgave his debt, and yet he could not extend that same grace to his fellow servant. He experienced the gospel but he couldn't live out the gospel message. And when we say that we can't forgive someone, what we're saying is we might have experienced the gospel, we can't live it out. Now, I know this message is heavy, but I need you to hold on strong to the end because we need to look at the cross to understand how forgiveness is going to come to our heart. So what does the gospel message teach us about forgiveness? It's this, only God can execute justice on sin. I want you to think about that for a moment. Only God can execute justice on sin. We hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness because we want justice for the pain caused to us. But those people can never pay you back for what they did to you. Just as we cannot repair our own sins, neither can those who have sinned against us ever right the wrong that they caused in our life. Justice can never be served to heal our heart. Getting revenge is not going to make us feel better. Bitterness isn't justice in our life. There's nothing that the person can do to right the wrong that they committed against you. Why? Because just as you and I spiritually cannot pay for our sins, neither can they spiritually pay for their sins. If you want justice in your heart for sins committed against you, the only way that you're going to find justice for those sins is by going to the foot of the cross. Because just as Jesus brought justice for you by forgiving your sins, so too he can only bring justice for their sins against you at Calvary. When you go to the cross, what you see is that Jesus has forgiven your sins, and he's also forgiven those sins. So when Jesus says, forgive as you have been forgiving, what he's saying is the only way on this side of heaven that you're going to have any sort of healing in your heart is to understand that Jesus took the punishment for their sin as well. Jesus paid for it. We can't have it both ways. We can't accept the, the punishment and the forgiveness of Christ at the cross for ourselves and then withhold it from someone else. The gospel also teaches us that only God can heal the wounds of sin. When we hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness... What we want a lot of times is the acknowledgement that the offender has done us wrong. And we hope that confession will bring closure, but confession doesn't ever bring closure to the pain. Only God can heal our hearts. Only God can restore what was stolen from our hearts. Isaiah 53 speaks of this truth. 
We believe at the cross that we have a physical healing, and that's, that's true. But at the cross, you also have a spiritual and emotional healing as well. There's a reason why Jesus tells us that we cannot be forgiven unless we forgive. And the reason is because the gospel is acknowledging the power of that message in someone else's life. So forgiveness is looking at the offender and saying, look, I, 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 what you did to me was wrong and it hurt and you've stolen from me. And every day I have to wake up and I have to say, God, help me forgive anew today. But I also understand that Jesus paid for my debt. I wounded him and he forgave me. I stole from him and he forgave me. And you've done all these things to me but I'm going to imitate not your actions, but I'm going to imitate my Savior's actions. I won't hold this debt against you. I want to close with this if the worship team wants to come back. So we see that forgiveness is from the heart. It means I look at the cross. I see what Jesus did for me. I see how he saved me, how he redeemed me, how he set me free. I understand my debt was forgiven. And I realize that in this moment that I am called to respond the same way to someone else. The question, though, is how do I make this a reality in my life? If God doesn't give me the seven steps to forgiveness, then how do I forgive? I understand the theology behind it. I understand the, the parable. I see all this stuff. How do I exhibit this type of faith? How do I exhibit this type of forgiveness? How do I walk this out? You exhibit this forgiveness the same way you received forgiveness. And that's through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, to get saved required at some point for you to go and to say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I know you died for my sins. I know you rose again. I know you that you're Lord. It's by faith alone that we're saved. It's not by works. And through that faith in Jesus, we enter salvation. So if we're to forgive others the way we have been forgiven, we do it through faith. You have to have faith that when you are obedient to Christ to forgive the offender from your heart and to not hold that debt against them, that Jesus will heal your heart. See, what we don't want to do is we don't want to forgive because we want justice. and We think that justice will bring healing to our heart, but justice won't bring healing to your heart. Only faith in Jesus Christ will bring healing to your heart. You're going to battle the questions of what if. You're going to battle the flesh wanting to go back to that desire for revenge. You're going to battle all the questions as to why and God, why didn't you fix this? Why haven't you punished that? All those things are going to be a constant battle, perhaps for a season. But when you say, Jesus, I am by faith and obedience choosing to forgive because that's what you've called me to do. And by faith and obedience, I know that you will heal my heart. I promise you that Jesus will come in and do a work in your life that revenge cannot do, that no therapist can do, that no book can do. He can heal you from the inside out.